Educators for Social Justice is a grassroots, teacher-led professional development group located in St. Louis, Missouri. The ESJ podcast seeks to provide authentic voice for educators who are doing social justice work in classrooms, schools, and communities. We celebrate a diverse group of teachers and students by discussing their successes, struggles, and visions in effectively implementing social justice education. We invite you to listen and challenge yourself to think about how your work can connect to social justice. Well, today we have um, Dr. Renee Reset joining us. Um, I'm going to share a bit about Renee and her background, and we're going to jump right into some great conversation. Uh, So Renee is an education professional with 13 years of experience with the St. Louis Public Schools. Starting as a chemistry teacher in 2005, she loves supporting students and learning about acid-based titrations. Titrations, titration. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and the periodic table. However, she realized she could, she could make a greater impact in the lives of children outside the classroom and begin her school leadership journey. Spending time in both neighborhood, also known as comprehensive schools and magnet schools, Issues of equity and the unequal impacts of policy were highlighted in real time before her. This proved to be the spark behind her decision to complete a PhD in educational leadership and policy studies. The desegregation plans in place in the St. Louis region have created a distinct system of separate and unequal schools that remains deeply entrenched in the status quo. You know, we're going to have to uh, pull that apart. Today. Absolutely. Um, as a school leader, she felt the limits of this system and recognized that it was going to require a different kind of advocacy to make the impact she desired. Dr. Reset is currently serving as a fellow at the Illinois State Board of Education, where she works in the Center for Teaching and Learning. She's involved in a multitude of projects there, including the Diverse, the diverse Learner Ready Teacher Initiative, the reauthorization of the state Perkins plan, the equity advisory work group, and supporting the early childhood education division in writing the FY20 ECE block grants. So much here to talk about and to share. So again, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. I know you're traveling tomorrow and you're just in town for a bit. Uh, but Renee, you're from St. Louis? Actually, no. Okay, um, where are you from? Uh, I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, mm-hmm. and West Lafayette, Indiana, mm-hmm. and then went to the University of Wisconsin for undergrad, yeah. and um, actually joined Teach for America. Okay. Um, my okay. undergrad is in biochemistry and women's studies, and... I did not know that about you. <laughs> most wow. most people don't because wow. they have this um, mindset around Teach for America as being, you know, two years and, and mm. out, which has its rightful place. Mm-hmm. The critique is well-deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was one of the few that stuck around. Okay. So, so Teach for America brought you to St. Mm-hmm. Louis. Yep. That was okay. my placement. And, wow. I, and then I fell in love with the city and, and the students and the mm-hmm. community and just really put down some roots. Nice. 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 So we met through um, Elaine Cha. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Elaine at the time was doing some work with Ford through Ferguson and the Missouri, uh, no, what was the Education on Compromise Storytelling mm-hmm. Initiative. Mm-hmm. 
And so that was a, quite a few years back when you were still principal. Yeah, yeah, it was great. So we actually hosted the storytelling yeah. at, um, it was either, I think it was an open house that we had in the fall, or it may have been parent-teacher yeah. conferences. Yeah. And um, she put the timeline up, mm-hmm. and, and everyone that came through the door interacted with it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. And I know from Elaine, and even prior to meeting you, she was really um, keen on the fact that you were uh, a school leader who opened your doors to the community. You deeply care about the students that you mm-hmm. serve. And she talked a lot about your advocacy work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to jump in there. Okay. I'm going to go back to this part. Okay, yeah. <laughs> in your bio, where it says, let's see, uh, da, da, da. the desegregation plans in place in the St. Louis region have created a distinct system of separate and unequal schools that remains deeply entrenched in the status quo. Mm-hmm. Can we unpack that from your perspective? Yeah, yeah absolutely. In your work. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I started at Central Visual and Performing Arts High School, magnet school. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time when I started there, as an example, the art department had five members. So visual arts, you know, studio art, 2D art. The, the music department had a piano teacher, a percussion teacher, a strings teacher, a winds teacher, mm. a brass teacher. Mm-hmm. A, I mean, just all, all these the staff, yeah. right? So <laughs> I got to see the impact of magnet policy, right? So I was at this school. There were all these great staff members. Um, and then in my first assistant principal role, I landed at Roosevelt, mm-hmm. which is about a mile and a half away, mm-hmm. but is a completely different mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. And in front of me, I got to see that these children were being given completely different opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard teachers in magnet schools say things like, don't continue that behavior or you'll end up at your neighborhood school. I mean, mm. the language that is pervasive in the system around what it means to be in a neighborhood school is an incredibly deep stigma. Yeah. Right. So then that got me really fired up. Yeah. Yeah. That was the spark. <laughs> that was the spark. Yeah. And so then I really, you know, I got into the PhD program at UMSL, um, had been learning about critical race theory, but really dug into it, you know, and, and what that says is basically racism isn't new. It's yeah. here. You know, yeah. white supremacy is the cause of it. You know, God into all that and then was able to access the st louis board of education archives Mm. got access to that building so then spent a summer copying documents copying letters um i also spent time at the county library system going through microfish and read the argus yeah you know the globe democrat got into some of the um primary source documents Mm -hmm. and editorials and what quickly became clear is that in the litigation you know, the plaintiffs, Men and Liddell, the community was advocating for African-American students. You know, mm-hmm. they were the plaintiffs in the case, but it got hijacked by white interest mm-hmm. and by white judges, by white attorney generals, mm-hmm. by white community members. And quickly the focus, it just got hijacked. Yeah. And the focus got lost on providing African-American children in the city a better education yeah um when you look at the cost differential the amount of money spent on magnet schools versus Mm -hmm. the remedy that was given to the overcrowded neighborhood schools 
they're not even yeah. comparable. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, a book is going to come out someday about all this. But um, for now, folks can download my dissertation. You know, I highlight a lot of the editorials, a lot of the great reporting that was done by the Argus about these issues and the community advocacy and um, just a lot of the just really overt racism mm. and also covert racism yeah. that was just really present, you know, throughout about 40 years of litigation. Yeah. Yeah. And the remnants mm-hmm. of which uh, mm-hmm. we continue to yep. to, to grapple with mm-hmm. and, yeah, to play out uh, in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of this was happening while you were yet in the within the four walls of the school. Right, right. So I was doing all that as an assistant principal. As an assistant principal. Yeah. And um, this was at Roosevelt. Yep. And then I transitioned to Gateway. Yeah. Um, and spent four years at Gateway STEM. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's kind of where that's where I know I met you mm-hmm. and, you know, some of the conversations that we would have around, um, you know, the things that, you know, you were dealing with as a school leader, um, the supports that you provided for your students and your staff and your team there. Um, can you talk about your decision to step away from yeah yeah (laughs) step away from all of that yeah so trying to think really what kind of there were a couple of points where i realized it was taking a toll on me Mm -hmm. and i started to recognize that the system no matter how hard i pushed was not going to change while i was inside of it Mm -hmm. and you know, when I was a principal at Carnahan, I had a, you know, a 0.4 allocation FTE for a social worker and a nurse. Mm. And so that meant my kids got to have access to a nurse and a social worker two days a week, mm. despite one in eight of my students going into transition in the course of a year, despite a documented 25% of the student body having asthma, yeah. despite all of these issues that we were facing as a school team, no matter what data I showed them, no matter how much I asked, mm-hmm. they ignored it. Mm-hmm. And I and I just, it, it's, it, I mean, to be honest, in a way it broke me. Yeah. It, it broke, it broke, um, there was something inside me that shifted and recognized that as long as I was staying in the system, I was going to continue to hold it up and be a band-aid that avoided dealing with the root issues Mm -hmm. and the impact that white supremacy has had on the system. Because you would never in a white school have a parent that tolerated a nurse two days a week. You just wouldn't have it. But when you're talking about a community that's been historically disenfranchised, Mm -hmm. it's a very different conversation and a very different level of um, discourse. Yeah, so. yeah. So you are now doing what outside of the, the system? Yeah, um, yeah. So I took a fellowship um, yeah. at the Illinois State Board of Education because I wanted to sort of go a level up and get a broader landscape, right? Like why is it that one district can have the issues that it has? Like what does it look like at a state level to work on education? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what I'm seeing is, um, for example, you know, Illinois just had a big change in their governor. Um, our state, the state superintendent is now a Latina female, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. first female superintendent yeah. and a Latina and is just, you know, really going to do well. Seven of the nine school board members are also female. Nice. So it's this, you know, we've had a huge turnover. Um, however, policy moves very slowly, yeah. you know, yeah. and so I'm, I'm seeing now that on a bigger scale, although the changes can be more significant, they take more time to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, but it requires very thoughtful 
um, folks working to yeah. make sure that once it has reached its endpoint, that it is the best yeah. and most equitable product. Like these um, early childhood block grants we're working on. Yeah. Um, there is simply not enough money to fund everybody or every community that needs a program. So then how do you build an application mm-hmm. for you know a big amount of money but that still honors equity and has yeah. equity built into it. Yeah, that's a, and, and that's not as easy as one might think because, mm-hmm. again, we're talking about centuries and centuries over time mm-hmm. of this system mm-hmm. um, that we're upholding. Mm-hmm. And so to have that conversation, I'm sure, is not, not easy, even at a policy level. No, no. Um, and in an organization, you know, I St. Louis Public is a largely non-white organization, mm-hmm. and now I'm in a largely white space. Mm. So it's a, it's a very different mm-hmm. conversation now, and I, I actually enjoy pushing white folks in this space yeah. because I think they're the ones who don't necessarily get it yeah. and the ones that I can really say, this is the experience, this is what you need to be thinking about, and yeah. we need to change that language or that's mm. <laughs> and sort of be that pusher. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Oh, that's nice. Okay. So what would you say, you know, situating, you know, back to St. Louis and education, particularly here in St. Louis? I mean, mm-hmm. th- these are issues that we see across the country, like mm-hmm. broad landscape of education. Um, what are some things that you would um, say we need to be thinking about in St. Louis? Number one is right sizing St. Louis public for the number of children in serving okay because the excuse that i got time and time again about resources was it's you know it's a it's a formula and based on your student enrollment this is the this is what you get Mm -hmm. and when you're operating upper 60s 70 some schools for less than twenty three thousand kids now it's just not financially solvent Mm -hmm. and by operating that many schools you're then denying the appropriate resources in certain places um, and so it's a tough conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Because school closure, school consolidation is a very, um, there's a hurt there. Mm-hmm. And I think that leaders in the city need to acknowledge that hurt, yeah. specifically where it comes from, where, you know, why it needs to be done differently. But I think if you could couch the conversation in the benefits, mm-hmm. if you could tell a group of parents, your kids are going to have access to three social workers every day mm. or, you know, better cafeteria food yeah. or a bus time that isn't 511 in the morning. I had 23 students on the bus before 530 in the morning. Wow. That's insane. Wow. insane. You will never be trauma informed if you are waking teenagers mm. up that early in the morning. Mm. And so, again, there's you have to present the benefits and do it in tandem with the community. But right sizing the district is really number one. Mm -hmm. Anything, uh, any number twos? (laughs) I think um, the teacher recruitment and retention issue and leadership recruitment and retention has to be taken more seriously. Um, An attitude around well, if you're, if you're about the kids, you're going to stick it out. Mm. That's not fair to adults. No, absolutely not. And absolutely it's not, not fair to expect adults to continue showing up for the lowest pay in the region mm. and to continue showing up in conditions that are not supporting student outcomes. Yeah. To expect teachers to be playing social workers because there's not one in the building mm. or a, a secretary to play nurse because she's on, you know, not in the building today. Yeah. That kind of stuff's just not acceptable. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. This is good stuff. Dare I ask for a number three? No, go on. <laughs> sure. Um, I do think we have to look seriously at the division of magnet and neighborhood schools. Yeah. I think that 
and maybe it takes a different approach at an elementary, middle, and high school level. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I know wonderful school leaders working their tails off in neighborhood schools, but there is a stigma that is associated with those schools that is very, very difficult to change. Mm -hmm. And when you're not offering something different, um, the way the magnet schools can market themselves, it's a very unfair system. And I think at the elementary level, it's a different conversation because I think you have good neighborhood schools and neighborhoods that are thriving around yeah. a school. Yeah. Um, but I think you've got to look at that because you will always have then a tiering of, of a, you know, mm-hmm. the better schools and then the other schools. Mm-hmm. And that message that gets mm-hmm. has gotten internalized, as you mm-hmm. were sharing earlier, mm-hmm. just even as the educator, or mm-hmm. they, they give the messages to students around what neighborhood schools versus magnet mm-hmm. schools are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, even internalizing that message and how we shift that language yep. is, is critically important. Mm-hmm. Um, what about better together? <laughs> so, so I, and and for those of you who are listening outside of St. Louis, outside of you know the state, uh, we can like drop a show note around what better together is and this this plan um, for a city county merger here and. Um, what the implications on educations are, education in this region is. And so um, that's a conversation that I'm having with a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, nowadays mm-hmm. and just curious about what you think. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's very poignant that they didn't touch education. Mm-hmm. And I think it really highlights the deeply seated racism in our community broadly yeah. in St. Louis, yeah. that, that that wasn't even on the table mm. for what they would consider that mm-hmm. education is almost like a holy grail. Yeah. We're not even going to touch that mm-hmm. and put it off to the side. Because again, when you look at our region and how fragmented school districts are and what different districts are able to leverage through their property tax base, I mean, mm-hmm. it's unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, on paper, I think the benefits that we would get as a region make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm ready to see the second iteration of right. it and right. see another round of thinking about how best to do it. Yeah. I think it's the right direction to be going, but I think we have to be committed to iterating and not Absolutely. assuming that we're going to get it right the first Absolutely. time. <laughs> Absolutely. And just like go, going full steam ahead with the plan. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That was a nice answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> So I often get this question, right, when I do um, trainings or workshops, um, specifically in white space. So what can I do, like, as as an Mm -hmm. educator, as a teacher, uh, even as a parent? um, What what can I do um, about, you know, race and racism and the role it plays in education? What, as a person do I do you know mm-hmm. it's a big hairy problem I don't know where to start right all the what excuses you, all the, <laughs> oh, I wasn't gonna be nice I wasn't gonna call the excuse but no but okay. it is it is yeah, it is what would you say what what do you say to, yeah. to that person so I think with white folks they don't have an internalized sense of race because they don't have to, right? It's a laziness. White people can exist in the world without race, largely. And so I think the answer has to be, you know, start noticing in your day-to-day experience where your whiteness gave you a benefit. Mm. Buying Band-Aids, going to a hotel and having the right shampoo Mm. for your hair texture. Mm. All those really little things because I think for people that are looking to externalize what they do, they're missing the whole boat because mm-hmm. it actually has to start inside mm-hmm. and it has to always consider an internal perspective around it. Mm. And if you're not, if you're thinking that you can do the quote race work without doing the internal work, 
you're one, being really lazy mm. and two, not really going to get to where we need everybody to get to. Yeah. What does that internal work look like? Um, it's books, yeah. it's reading, it's being able to talk to your white friends about things that they say that upset you. Mm. It's walking into a store that's selling sage and mm-hmm. saying to the store clerk, hey, I noticed you're appropriating native <laughs> culture. Could you please not do that? Um, yeah. You know, in the grocery yeah. line. And then it's, it's, if you've done some internal dialogue, either writing, reflection, you know, there's some great Instagram folks that I follow mm-hmm. um, that do a lot of this um, type stuff, but you've got to you've got to start with self and then you can start to see those moments of opportunity Mm -hmm. in your day-to-day life where race is an issue Mm -hmm. and where you have a voice to then name it and help someone else, you know, acknowledge it too. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. (laughs) Um, Let's see. I'm I'm hesitant to say this is my last question, but what I do want to kind of get your thoughts and response on. Um, I, I am, I have for a while, um, uh, understood the necessity to shift the the conversations toward anti-racism mm-hmm. and um, equity. Yes, we absolutely need equitable outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to be thinking about diversity and inclusion, but that won't get us there. They won't. Yep. Those conversations won't necessarily get us there. Um, being anti-racist specifically in the space of education, what mm-hmm. does that mean to you, and why is that important to shift that language? Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that's there's a lot there. So yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. I think primarily it's a recognition that we are built on white supremacy mm-hmm. and that until we can understand that, every decision we make could be clouded by it. Mm-hmm. And every policy we write, every communication we put out. And so it's almost an active unlearning mm-hmm. and then an active process of ensuring that everything that your organization is putting out, every communication, whatever you're doing, um, that it's it's accurate and that it's, it's reflecting who you, who you were trying to be as an organization. Um, I think that it's scary language for people Mm. because they, they are not the racist ones. Right. 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 (laughs) And they might not be willing to step back and analyze, well, actually that was not so good. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I think it opens up that brave space, um, and allows for a more critical conversation. And I think equity is the non-critical conversation mm-hmm. or it can be mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. it's the easier word to use it is it is so it is and language is so important mm-hmm. um in framing like what we're actually talking about and the work that we're actually doing mm-hmm. um and you know important i think i would add to that that you know framing anti-racist work um in a way that removes it from the people not to say that it absolves people mm-hmm. uh from um racist intention at Mm -hmm. time but really focusing on the system of racism Mm. and how it operates in every Mm -hmm. system Mm -hmm. uh, but for our conversation and most of our work uh, in the education system and to be active uh, in pushing against that is Mm -hmm. is what's really important Mm -hmm. um what else would you add to this conversation (laughs) that i haven't haven't touched upon like i said i know you're doing a lot of travel a lot of work uh which is very interesting uh, you hinted at like a book coming at some point. Yeah. So yeah. Like, what else would you add for folks yeah. that are listening in educators for social justice land or expanded conversations land? Like yeah. what else would you add? Um, I'm available to speak. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm yeah. available to, you know, do professional development or support, support efforts that are going on to be, just be a thought partner. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of figuring out my next step. Yeah. It's not a hundred percent solidified yet. 
Um, but I want to take the lessons I've learned and yeah. support other people that are still in that direct service work. Um, you know, I, I, my heart is very much in St. Louis. Yeah. I very much want to find an opportunity here and stay here. Um, I, I really believe St. Louis is like the little engine that could. Mm-hmm. It's like if we can just get this little engine up this hill, mm. like we can, you know, do some really amazing things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I have faith that there there seems to be a different dialogue going on that started bubbling up maybe about a year ago maybe mm-hmm. two years ago and it just feels like there's a renewed energy mm-hmm. in the city um that's pretty exciting um but yeah maybe in a maybe in a month or two i'll have something exciting but yeah the, the dissertation's available if you you know are in in that world and if anyone wants to read it and can't find it they can email me and i'll send it okay and again i'll share um dr renee's information um via the show notes um but i think we're gonna close it there i mean you have shared um tons of wisdom um uh, very interesting to hear about your work um i'm definitely going to read the uh, <laughs> dissertation i want to learn more about your findings for sure um and again can't thank you enough for sharing with us today um we have all learned and grown from you in ways that will cause us to think and do better And I'm going to close it there. Thanks again to you, our listeners, for tuning in today. Please visit educatorsforsocialjustice.org for upcoming ESJ events and to stay up to date. Join us next time on the Educators for Social Justice podcast.